Okay, welcome everyone. It's uh, January 29th, 2023. Welcome to our Sheepgate Fellowship Sunday service. Uh, it's a snowy day out there, so I'm sure some people are still on their way. Hopefully, we'll join us quite soon. Uh, I want to welcome you all. If it's your first time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for joining our community here as we worship the Lord. I remind you of our mission statement here at Sheepgate. We exist to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to love God, to love neighbor, to worship God and enjoy him forever. Uh, as we begin this day, I'm going to shortly um, ask you to rise from your seats and recite the Apostles' Creed together. But before we do so, I want to remind you, as I did two weeks ago, and some of you may have caught this or not, um, I want to remind you of some of the origins of the Creed. Zacharias Ursinus, the primary author of the Heidelberg Catechism, he tells us why the Apostles' Creed was chosen for his own distinctly reformed catechism, referring to the Heidelberg, uh, as the summary of what it is that Christians must believe in order to be truly Christians. He writes, it signifies a brief and summary form of the Christian faith, which distinguishes the church and her members from the various sects. So this creed, as we recite it together, uh, is not simply to be taken lightly as uh, just a general creed of the Christian faith, but it is the creed of the Christian faith in many ways. It sums up uh, what distinguishes the church uh, from other religions and other beliefs and other worldviews. So let's rise from our seats and recite the Lord, uh, Apostles' Creed together. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to begin our time this afternoon from a reading uh, from Psalm 12. So I read this psalm to you. It's a call to worship. And as I read it to you, I ask that you just reflect on some of its content, especially in reference to God's keeping and preservation of generations of believers forever. So I'll read Psalm 12 to you. Uh, you can close your eyes if it helps you to focus on the words. Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. A silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Amen. Let's take this time as we begin um, our just coming together with song and with praise. Let's pray a prayer of repentance as we come before God, for we are those wicked men. We are the wicked men who flatter ourselves with our lips and our tongue and our speech. 
We are the men who walk about and strut about in pride and arrogance and in sin. We live daily, moment by moment, so lost and depraved in our sinful tendencies and our sinful thoughts. So we surely and ought to come before the Lord this day, a holy and righteous God, with a heart of humility and repentance. So at this time, would you pray with me, silently in your own hearts, a prayer of repentance as we come before God, for he is the one who keeps us, he is the one who preserves us, generation after generation, forever. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll begin. this in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I'd like to draw your attention to the screen where question 94 of our Westminster Shorter Catechism should be displayed. It's a simple question, three words, what is baptism? Last week we looked at, of course, question 93, which asked, what are the sacraments? And the two sacraments we discussed and the answer were baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, next week we'll partake in the Lord's Supper together as we begin service, uh, as we do each month, beginning of each month. But today we look at the sacrament of baptism. So what is baptism? The answer reads, Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost to signify and seal our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. There's some important elements to this answer that I'd like you, for you to focus. First, we see the Trinitarian nature of the sacrament. We see the mention of the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, the three persons of the triune God, we believe. And in baptism and in the washing underwater, it signifies to us a seal of our engrafting into Christ. What a beautiful term that is used there to depict that image. The partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace. And if you've been attending our confession study, you know all about the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's, to be his, right? To be his adopted son and daughter. What a wonderful and beautiful symbol this sacrament of baptism is. Uh, some of you may not be baptized, and if that's not if that is the case, uh, please speak to me. I'd love to kind of converse you on with you on that. But yes, this is the sacrament of baptism. I hope it makes sense to you, and I hope that you would remember this. Um, and you can always reference, of course, question 94 and answer 94 whenever you need. With that said, allow me to pray as we begin this time and go into a time of song. Gracious God, we thank you so much. We thank you for this afternoon as we see the snow fall. 
course, those who drive uh, may not be so um, enthusiastic about that or those who perhaps need to shovel today. But uh, we see the snowfall and we see the seasons pass and we see the world around us constantly changing and ever adapting and and growing in, in ways that are unpredictable to us in our minds. But God, we know that even every snowflake that falls on this earth, that you have providence over and sovereignty over and you've ordained that every single thing that happens in this universe is under your will. So Father, we thank you for this day that under your will we are able to gather, to sing songs, to pray, and to read from your holy word. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be honored, lifted, glorified. The Father, this worship would be pleasing to you and that in our reading of your word, we would be able to receive truth that is so uh, wonderful for our souls and nourishing uh, in every way that it would help us to grow in our Christ-likeness. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this gathering and the family we are a part of. And we pray all this in Christ's name. If you rise from your seats, our praise team will lead us in a time of song.
want to welcome you all once again. Um, hopefully your drive was not too dangerous. Uh, it doesn't seem it wasn't doesn't seem as bad as Wednesday. Wednesday was horrendous. Um, but we're continuing our sermon series, and we're looking at the final section of text from the third chapter. So if you could turn with me to Mark chapter three verses thirty to thirty-five, we'll read the whole text again. We'll go from verse twenty to thirty-five, but our sermon will focus on verses thirty to thirty-five. Um, it's an entire, really, just one uh, piece of text that we ought to read together. So I'd like to read it in its entirety, and then we'll preach, or we'll read, or study uh, verses, sorry, verses 31 to 35. So let's go to Mark 3. I'll start reading from verse 20, and you can just follow along with me to the very end of the chapter. I'll read from my Bible, and you can follow in yours. This is the Word of God. And he came home, and the crowd gathered again, to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem, they were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, for he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they, went, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God he is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Before we go into the word, as we do each week, let's pray for an unreached people group. Today they come from China. They are the Kayakala. Only 3,000 of these people um, exist. It's a small people group uh, considering uh, the mass quantity of people in China. And um, it's a non-religious group. Uh, by most studies and accounts, they're a non-religious, uh, likely an atheistic community, very small, and uh, only about a percentage of them are, uh, are professing Christians. And so uh, we'd like to pray for them at this time. Uh, a percent of 3,000 is like literally 30 people, so like less than this room, right? Um, we outnumber the entire <laughs> Christian community of this, of this people group, which is uh, obviously concerning. So we'd like to pray for them. Um, again, that's the Kayakala of China. This past week, uh, we had another police incident um, with in the States in Memphis. Um, I actually have a former church member who's in Memphis right now, so I was able to quickly just reach out to her. But if you saw the video, there's five officers um, unfortunately uh, were arresting a man who was uh, recklessly driving. It was also the, under, the influence of um, drugs and other things, and uh, they got into an altercation, and eventually it ended in this man uh, dying in the hospital. 
And of course, being America, everything went berserk. And so we had riots all across the country. Uh, if you're like not like familiar with what's going on right now with this stuff, like please read your news. Like it's it's helpful. Uh, just pray for what's going on. Um, seems like almost cyclical, like pattern-like at this moment or in this time. People were obviously uh, calling for um, justice and you know calling it a racist act and etc. Uh, you can do the research on the details of it and uh, determine whatever your opinion is on it on your own. Um, our job today as a community is just to pray um, for sensibility. And all, by the way, all officers were uh, dismissed, so fired from their position and uh, were convicted of second-degree murder. So, um, yeah, I think justice will be served in the end and uh, allow the system to unfold. But we'd like to pray, uh, obviously, for the family that's grieving watched an interview of the mother who lost her son. Um, not a stand-up citizen at all, but still a mother lost her son, right? So I think it's important we pray for uh, their family that's grieving over that. And um, yeah, just for sensibility across the United States uh, at a time where I think uh, racial tension and other things are obviously, especially with the police, um, it's not great, not a great situation. So let's pray. and. Um, Pray for peace. Uh, we'll begin this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, firstly, for this gathering where we can read this text from Mark. As we read it, Lord God, um, it's such a simple teaching, but it's prolific in what it conveys to us about family and about church. And so, Father, I pray that this day we would come to understand what Christ is teaching and what he's trying to convey to his audience and i hope that we would be able to receive this truth in faith so may the spirit work in us this afternoon pray for the kayakle of china we ask O oh lord that this small people group that uh by means that only you know and have ordained that they would come to hear the gospel and respond in faith we ask that the gospel be preached to them faithfully heralded by faithful Christians and believers who would be able to help the establishment of a church within this people group and in this region of China. We also pray for what's happening down south in the United States uh, as riots are starting to pick up and damage being done, people burning police cars and, and all the very similar images to what we've seen in the years past. Um, I pray for just sensibility and instead of uh, violence being met with violence, that there would be dialogue and hopefully peaceful conversation that will result in proper justice and hopefully a resolution to um, the situation. Um, and I pray that the church would be uh, that voice of sensibility uh, in a world that seems so angry at each other. Uh, God, would you just be with them and hopefully there won't be any more damage or especially lives being hurt or lost. We pray for the grieving family who lost their son, and uh, especially their mother, and um, would you just be with them. We thank you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, we're on the final section of what essentially has become a three-part sermon series on this final text of Mark, our final block of text in Mark 3, from verses 20 to 35. We looked at, of course, verses 20 to 27, and we saw how his hometown uh, refused and rejected Jesus and saw him as one who has lost his senses. They claimed 
the Jews, the Jewish scribes that came down, uh, that he was possessed by Beelzebul. We looked at last week the unforgivable sin, right, and the blasphemy or blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, and what that means and why it's eternal. Uh, and today we look at this final text, and uh, I hope that it would be most powerful in its teaching to you this day. In my youth, one of the most prominent television shows. Yes, we had television shows, no Netflix, no like streaming services. It was just pure television shows. It was The Simpsons. It was not a show I would endorse in terms of secular content to you or your children due to its like vulgar language and other things. However, I was a lost secular child back then and this is a show that I watched. And so I do find this though, even today, that uh, secular comedy tends to lend a hand to a little bit of sanity in this world. And it's really, you know, comedy is an interesting platform. It's able to poke fun at society in very direct ways uh, that other platforms can't do. Like politicians can't do what comedians do. Like uh, news channels cannot do what comedians do. Pastors certainly cannot say things that uh, comedians say. And we love to say it, we just can't say it. And admittedly at times, like even a secular program like The Simpsons is able to provide little bit of insight into deep concepts of thought, especially societal thought. And there's one such episode that came to mind in reading today's text. It's weird, right? You read the Bible and think of the Simpsons. I'm just really messed up like that. Um, I only share it to you because I think it touches on uh, a chord and an interesting idea that I think is important for us to grasp. Um, there's an episode where, if you've ever watched The Simpsons, there's a principal of the school. And the principal of the Simpson children, his name is Principal Seymour Skinner. And in this episode uh, that came to mind for me, uh, we discover that he, in fact, is not Seymour Skinner. And instead, he is a man named Armin Tamzarian. Now, during his service in the US Army, he was stationed with the real Seymour Skinner. But unfortunately, Skinner dies in battle. So Armin travels to, his, to Skinner's home to relay the message of his death to his mother. Now, but upon arrival, knocking on her door, the mother is She's very old, so she's unable to recognize whether the man in front of her really is her son or not. Uh, and because he had no family of his own and he lived like a really terrible life, he felt so sorry for this grieving mother. Uh, so he decides to just take on the role of Seymour Skinner. <laughs> he just becomes that guy. But in this episode, what happens is the real Seymour Skinner reappears after being so-called dead, right? And he takes back his life. Right? And it's an interesting plot twist. Now, over the course of time, uh, while the fake Seymour Skinner was playing the role of this mother's son, he became the son that she wanted and always wanted. And the real son that returned, the real Seymour Skinner, was nothing like the fake one. And she was, he was nothing like uh, the son that this fake Seymour Skinner was to this mother. So the episode ends with... Um, the mother sending off her real son, like she literally like puts him on a train and like sends him <laughs> elsewhere. Uh, again, I don't condone this stuff in the show, but essentially she adopts the fake Seymour Skinner as her real son. And she actually, she actually like goes after him because he's about to leave town and just live his life as Armin Tamzarian again. But she calls him back home. And uh, when they reconnect, he kind of like tells her like, hey, like I'm not your real son. Like, I'm not, your, I'm not actually Seymour. And she actually slaps him in the face. And one of the things she's, I'm paraphrasing here, it's too long, but she basically says, 
you are more Seymour than the real Seymour. And so he obeys and kind of reclaims his role as Principal Seymour Skinner for the rest of the Simpsons saga. Now what was realized in this mother's mind um, was that this new son of hers became more of her son than the son she actually had. He had learned her tendencies, her preferences. He appeased her in every way possible. She was the son she always wanted. The blood did not say that he was her son, but his character and his will did. And today, nothing like this episode, nothing like it, not even a percentage, but we see a very startling contrast being made by Jesus. And it plays on a similar chord with this episode. He contrasts Jesus, his earthly family, with his heavenly one, his true family. It's very peculiar. I'll tell you why later. But there's an incredibly rich message contained within it. And I believe it will help us to navigate in our own understanding of these two spheres of life that exist in all of us in the believer's life, which is, of course, the family at home and the family at church. Let's look at the text today. There's just two points. I want to focus on those two things. The family at home, verses 31 to 32, and then the family at church, verses 33 to 35. Let's look at the first two verses, 31 to 32, the family at home. The Bible and the Christian faith take family and the language of family very seriously. We're used to hearing that we ought to honor our father and mother as part of the Ten Commandments. We're shown from the very beginning pages of Scripture that family is a God-ordained institution intrinsic to the design of humanity. Male, female, multiply. Family is upheld all throughout Scripture as being a priority in many cases. And of course, we're told value family, right? Implicitly, explicitly. I was told as a young minister when I first entered ministry, that once I get married and I have kids, that my primary ministry would become my home. That's what I was told. I'm going to argue today that's not great advice. I'll tell you why. Growing up in an Eastern cultured household, family is so foundational to our being, our traditions. We just had Lunar New Year, celebrate with family. Beyond the reality of broken families and unfortunate family situations, which some of you may be a part of, I want to, of course, uh, acknowledge that, that we don't live in a non-fallen world where families don't break. Family as a concept and institution in the Bible is really or hardly antagonized or portrayed poorly in our minds. And it certainly doesn't conjure negativity or opposition when it comes to faith, faith-related matters. We don't really see family ever as being a hindrance to Christianity or the Christian practice in life. And that would be correct to think along those lines on a general level. But, it's a big but, look at the picture of the scene that Mark is painting for us today. I think if I was much older and all of you had families, like you were all married and had children, this might be a more difficult sermon to preach. So I might have the advantage of many of you not being married and many of you not having children. Actually, none of you have children, right? Please, none of you have children, right? 
it's a very interesting scene that Mark is painting. In verses 13 to 19, Jesus calls his disciples, right? Called his 12. The men he will most closely spend his life with. And then in verse 20, he goes home. The hometown crowd is not in favor of his newfound fame, and they call him crazy. And then jumping into today's text, we go right back to the home scene. And this home is so crowded as Jesus is swarmed and completely surrounded by a crowd and flood of people. And who is not in the home? Who is not in this circle? His mother, his brothers, his earthly family. And instead of being in this crowd and in this home, they are found outside of it. I think it's a visual representation of the lesson that is trying to be conveyed here. But from outside of this home and this circle, they call to Jesus, and in the Greek, the suggestion is much stronger, that their intentions was not so pure. It wasn't so much a longing to see this this son who has come back home, or this brother who has come back home. But rather, it is a sense of concern for the ruckus he was stirring up. I used to run around a church when I was very young. I, would run, I was very hyper. I had a lot of energy. I would run through people and jump off staircases. I don't know why. I just did it. My mom would always just grab me, be like, stop doing that, right? I imagine this was something similar in that vein terms of intention on their end, perhaps fueled by this, shame for the family name because of what Jesus was doing and saying. The picture is clear and it acts metaphorically. The family is not inside the circle. They're not in his circle. And they can't be just on the basis of earthly relationship. I've preached this before, but Mary's not saved because she birthed Jesus. Mary can only be saved She believes in Jesus. If you ever questioned if uh, works could ever save you, consider that. Imagine being the mother who birthed the Son of God, and that is no credit to your salvation. Consider that. So it's a metaphorical image, if you will, that they stand outside. It's a stark picture that should and ought to shock us. Jesus and Mark are telling us there is something more important and vastly more valuable to Christ. And thus, that message is being conveyed to us. It's being echoed to us. I want to share two testimonies. One I read in a book. Uh, it's by Nabil Qureshi, he's former, unfortunately, he used to be an employee of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. But uh, he was a former Muslim, came to faith, uh, Christian faith, and um, his story is very compelling. It's very interesting. Uh, grew up in a very strong Muslim household. College, he met a Christian, David Wood, um, now is an apologist, and uh, got exploring the faith, exploring Bible and the claims of the Christian faith, and he did come to faith, but he mentions, I went to one of his talks on campus when I was at U of T, um, and he mentions in his testimony that he was so terrified even though he was so compelled to believe in Jesus, he was so terrified to convert because he grew up his whole life as a Muslim. That's all he ever knew. And he had this incredible fear, and his main source of fear was what his parents would think and what his parents would do to him. He knew certainly that if he came to faith, his parents would disown him. 
that he would be completely ostracized from every community, every loving community he's ever been a part of, he would be thrown out. That it would mean being on, on an island for the rest of his life. Like marriage would be harder. Like everything would just get immensely harder for this man. But he was so convicted of the truth of the gospel of Christ. And he says in, um, if you ever read his book, uh, it's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He writes in this book that he turns to Matthew 10, 37, and it reads, he who loves, um, I switched it. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26 echoes the same sentiments. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Passages that compelled him to take that step of faith, for he knew that earthly family was not as important as being part of the family of God. I want to share with you another testimony from a sister I met in Asia Minor. I went to Asia Minor for four, four or five summers straight, short-term projects, um, while I was a campus minister. Uh, my first year there, I met a sister who, who was a former Muslim. She came to Christ. She shared with me this, that her brother was, uh, was hunting her down to kill her. She wanted to cut her head off because she had converted to Christianity. Completely disowned. She now lives in the States, uh, married with an American Christian man from Minnesota, studying Christian history. She's incredibly intelligent. Uh, she's studying uh, Christian history as her uh, master's and hopes to do a PhD. She ran away from home, essentially, leaving everything behind to follow Christ. She has a brother today who is still hunting her down. She's not seen her mother or father since confessing Christ as Savior and Lord. Consider this, brothers and sisters. I believe the takeaway for us in these opening two verses is the question, who is our real family? Who is it? It's the question Jesus thrust, right? So let's look at this. The family at church, verses 30 to 33 to 35. I think the crowd speaks as we would. They respond as we would today. Paraphrasing here, their essential exclamation to Jesus is this. Family is important, Jesus. Your mother, your brothers, they're important. And they're calling you. You ought to go to them. But Jesus' response is so startling to anyone who loves their family. Anyone who's never thought anything poor about that. I'm not asking you to think of love of family as a poor concept. I'm not asking you to reconsider loving your family. That's not, that's not the point. But it's startling, isn't it? You would think if the Bible upholds family as this incredibly God-ordained institution that Christ would be like, oh, my mother and my brothers? Bring them here, or I will go to them. One or the other, right? But no, that's not what we see. No one's telling you to not love your family. 
But what this passage is getting at is this. Love your family, but know who your real family is and love them more. It's very compelling. For one family, the earthly one is certainly temporal. And one is eternal. Believers, here's a dose of truth. You have essentially two families, an earthly one and a heavenly one. Look at the contrast of this passage. Christ's earthly family is calling for him, calling to him to cease his ministry, to come home to them. And Jesus instead is calling his own disciples to come to him, disregarding the call of his family. The one who calls is not to be his family. It is Jesus who is to do the calling. And the true family that Jesus calls is not this earthly family of his earthly mother and his earthly brothers, as if bloodline gives privilege. No, to the Jew who thought their blood could save them, it is not true. It is faith in Christ that will save them. Although some of them will come to know, as we know James certainly does, and likely Mary too, to be a part of Christ's family, it is not Christ who is part of their family and he is to yield to them. They are to yield to Christ. His true family is the family of God, his family in heaven. I love Christ's response. It, it, posed, it is posed in the form of a question, and then he answers it. He asks, who are my, are my mother and my brothers? Must have been, it must have sounded so stupid to be in that crowd, and you're the one saying, hey, your mother and brother are calling you. And Jesus is like, well, who is my mother? Who is my brother? If I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm going, well, those guys, they're right there. It must have sounded so ridiculous. And yet that is what Christ says. Who are my mother and my brothers? Here's his answer. You can, answer, you can read, of course, the answer in the text. But here's my way of interpreting this answer. Believer, it is you. You are his brother. You are his sister. You who are here in front of me, in this circle, in this house, you who are with me in this home, who are listening to me and following me and are called by me, by Christ, you, he says, are his brother, his sister, his mother. I love this answer. All throughout, we see mother, brother, mother, brother, mother, brother. Commentators note the addition of sister at the end. It's all of us. It's simply there to imply that this list is not exhaustive. It's, you could go on and on. You could say father, cousin, uncle, variable, whatever, whatever familial relationship title you want to put on it. It doesn't matter. You're family. The point is not family title. The point is that those who follow Jesus are his. You are of his family. Those who do the will of God, you are his family. And so what do you suppose our takeaway ought to be? Brothers and sisters, I urge you, listen and think and correct this in your life, if you must, if it's in need of correction. The family of God is the church, is it not for Christ laid down his life for it? Like he loved the church so much, he laid his life down for it, that we could be 
in union with Him. So your church, this church, the church, is your true family. If you in your heart value your earthly family above the family of God, I think this is wrong. I think it could be sinful. I say I think because I don't want to I don't want to demonize loving your family. But I believe in, in researching this and reading this and, and contemplating this over and over again, I think that's the message that's being conveyed to us, is it not? Maybe you can give me insight as the Spirit speaks to you. Because I, what I see is the tendency in us to put things that are good but make them better than they are better than things that we ought to see as the best. We do this in so many aspects of our lives. This is putting ourselves over Christ, is it not? Our own interests over Christ. Some of you would die for your family, but not your church. Some of you are willing to go so out of your way to serve your family, to take care of them, to have interest in them, to protect them, to show affection as you ought to, to just wholly love onto them as you should. And yet, when you come to the family of God with your fellow brother and sister in church, all you do is sit, you listen, you go home. Your church is not family. I love the book we're reading in our DGs because Ferguson's aim in the first chapter is so clearly aligned with this text. And it, it corrects our understanding of church as not a lesser priority than our earthly families, but actually he suggests in it, and he says, may I suggest, it is of greater priority. We are asking Muslim men and women to follow Christ at the total cost of ostracizing themselves and segregation from their families and their loved ones. None of us, none of you, maybe I could claim this, would be willing to do that. Would you? To put faith and church above everything else. Talk about hypocrisy. We have the arrogant audacity to talk smack about the church and say how church sucks. Say, I went to this church and they don't have love. I didn't feel loved. I didn't sense love here. I ask you, do you love the church? And what does love look like in the family, in our earthly families at home? You fight, you bicker, you argue. I have a brother. I know what it's like to argue with my brother. Sometimes I just wanted to knock that kid out, but it's okay, you know, like, I'm a sinner too. <laughs> I didn't knock him out. You get on each other's nerves. But you sleep under one roof. You eat at the same table. You take care of one another. That's what it means to be family. Church ain't easy. It won't always feel easy. Until we're really fully glorified and sanctified, and it's not ever going to be that easy. But Jesus laid his life down for the church. Just look around you. This is your family. And I hope we can behave as such. When you're married and you do have kids, don't be that parent that causes your kids to miss church because of school, because of soccer, because of some family meal. Set the proper example. Say this, son, Today is Sunday. Today is the Lord's day. And on this day, we worship God. 
with our true family, the family of God. I will one day die, but this family will be with you forever until you die too. That's the church. It's the family of God. I wish I was there to hear Jesus say this to people who needed to hear this. And perhaps we ought to hear it too. Jesus is not saying, as I conclude, to completely disregard your earthly families. I hope that's not the message you're getting across. Oh, Max told me today to not love my family. No, that's not the point. Please do not go home and say that to your parents. What Christ is telling you is to have the proper kingdom perspective on all things and all aspects of life. He is teaching his followers to see things as he sees them. And it is to see family, the family of believers, as our greatest of priorities. I told you two weeks ago that verses 20 to 35 depict a Markin sandwich, a literary technique of Mark that visualizes his intended lesson. Well, here it is. Verses 20 to 27 speak of Jesus and his return, return home only to be greeted by a hostile home crowd. They think he's lost his senses. And then in today's passage, his own earthly family wants to draw him away from his true family and to cease his ministry work. And sandwiched between the home crowd and the home family, between these two crowds who've misunderstood Jesus, is the only way you unlock proper understanding of Jesus. Verses 28 to 30, Jesus teaches us that the one with true faith in him, with true understanding of who he is and what he has come for and what he has accomplished on our behalf, the one with true faith in the true Jesus Christ and the true gospel, that person will always be forgiven of their sins and be eternally locked into this family. And it is these that are his true brother, his true sister, and his mother. Earthly relationships do not determine heavenly ones. Even Christ's mother Mary and his half-siblings must believe to be saved and to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so it is no different for us. I leave you with a quote from our DG book, Devoted to God's Church by Sinclair Ferguson. This, he writes, is the most basic picture of the church in the New Testament. It consists of those who have been given new life by the Spirit's work and gathered together by faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, as we have suggested, it is not really a picture, an image, or a metaphor. Listen to what he says. Family is what the church is. And with that said, let's bow our heads and pray and reflect on what we've learned today. Thank you.
Let's worship. Thank you. 
We ask, O oh Lord, that we our hearts would be softened to continue to love our brother, our sister in the faith, and love them like family, like truly brother, truly sister. We ask, O oh God, uh, that you would continue to work in us through your spirit to have this attitude, to have this type of perspective. We thank you for the provision in life. Sometimes we complain about our jobs and complain about our education, but these are all things that are blessings, and we ask that we would be faithful stewards of all the resources we're given in life. And so from that provision, Lord, we give cheerfully to you this day an offering that we hope would be used for the betterment of this church ministry and for your kingdom work that is being done uh, through this community. We ask, O oh Lord, we would constantly and continuously be faithful givers uh, and supporters of kingdom work both here locally and abroad we thank you and pray all this in your name amen you may be seated okay well i want to welcome all of you once again uh to sheepgate it's your first time welcome hopefully hopefully we're not scary or anything um, <laughs> um hopefully we are conveying a little bit of welcoming and love to you but yes we do welcome you we hope to get your name down and fellowship with you this afternoon. Our offerings uh, can be sent uh, through WeTransfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. If you prefer to give um, uh, through, you know, physical means, uh, the baskets in the other church will tend to give that, or we have envelopes here you can give that way. Uh, so if you'd like to give that way, just please let me know. Um, and yeah, so you can give that way. If you're giving towards missions, uh, specifically abroad to Asia Minor or locally here on campus, just write that in the notes section. We'll make sure the funds are allocated uh, towards those things. Um, please join us for fellowship at church following service today in our other building just south of here. Uh, a lunch, I believe, is prepared for us. We also have like an abundance of remaining hot dogs from yesterday, so we, know we need those consumed. Uh, so hot dog lovers, celebrate and rejoice for the Lord has provided manna from heaven in the form of hot dogs. Uh, we also have ketchup, which is fantastic as a condiment. Not as good as mustard, which we also have. Um, so please join us for that. Uh, there will be confession study this week. Uh, so following our uh, meal today, we'll continue in chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we'd love for all of you to join us today uh, in our study. Uh, discipleship groups have begun, and uh, I'm hearing some good things. So uh, hopefully you've enjoyed uh, your time in those groups. If you're kind of on the fence and you'd like to join now, even if you're living or if you're like a student in another city and you'd like to join online to any of our groups, you can certainly do that. So uh, please let us know if you'd like to join. It's not too late. I think they're just kind of, you know, dip, uh, dipping their feet into the first chapter. Um, yesterday, we had a fantastic turnout and event, volleyball tournament at Bond Community Church. Uh, both Stephen and David are here. So thank you to both of you for organizing that. Round of applause. Great job. Um, I don't know if we like raised like a lot of funds, but <laughs> we had a lot of fun, which is really uh, important. More than more than funds, fun is more important. And we definitely had that. Um, but yeah, all of the proceeds and everything we did give to KC, so uh, they could uh, it'll help them out in some way, hopefully, with uh, their upcoming conference. Uh, Richard was guest speaker at KCF yesterday, and uh, I'm sure he was, you know, he lit that pulpit on fire. So I'm sure it was amazing, uh, and I'm sure the students were blessed by it. And uh, I know that, you know, he would have put his, every time Richard preaches, I'm always very uh, challenged of just how much heart uh, and focus he puts into it. So I'm sure that was the case yesterday. I'm sure the students were blessed. Um, 
next for the next two Sundays, I'm off the pulpit. And so next week, we'll have our first PCA minister uh, guest speaker come in. So on a monthly basis, I'm going to try to have one PCA pastor come in and speak so you can get familiar uh, with the denomination. Maybe ask some questions as well if you'd like. Uh, but Lyndon Dross from uh, Dinky's Church currently, um, associate pastor there, he's, he'll be coming in next week to speak. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I've asked him to speak. He was like, so, like, what's the deal with your church? Like, what do you need? I gave him some heads up. So he'll preach on that. And so based on the sermon, you will know what I think of you. Uh, so come next week um, as he will preach to us next Sunday. We'll begin next week's service with um, Lord's Supper. So please join us for communion. Um, we'll have that um, every first Sunday of every month. Uh, so please do not miss that. Birthdays. So as promised, the end of every month, birthdays. Um, don't be deceived. I know the book size could be like, whoa, does Max love that person more? Um, that's not, it's more like you need more book. Um, just kidding. Uh, but yes, for Victoria, I've got this book. It's actually a study book. No clapping. No, you don't need to clap. We do all glory to God. No, no glory to man. Um, our birth is irrelevant. Um, this book is called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand by Paul Tripp. Uh, it's a study book that I went through very early on in my ministry. It's very helpful, and I thought it would be helpful for even like lay leaders. So I got this for Victoria because, you know, Victoria studied math and she has a lot of logic. So, <laughs> um, and then for Jet, I got this book, very small book, uh, but again, don't be deceived by the size. This is bigger content, if you will. Uh, it's called The Shadow of the Cross. One of the most interesting books on self-denial that I've read. I'm not saying you need self-denial, but I think everyone does. But this is an incredibly prolific book. It, was just, it just hit me hard. I read this on one bus ride. It just really hit me hard, so I wanted to get this book for someone, and I thought of Jet. So please, come up and take your books. By the way, our church, like, the more it grows, these books are going to get harder to purchase. So get your books while you can. Um, happy birthday, yes. Um, okay, with all of that out of the way, um, I know we're a little bit over time, um, but I do want to take a moment in prayer. Uh, I end off with a little bit of a somber note today, um, but it was a pretty heavy week. Uh, preparing this sermon today, it's a little more mediocre than usual, right? Um, it was very difficult uh, to focus this week on uh, preparing for Sunday and preparing for the sermon and all that. And um, I'd like to share two um, unfortunate uh, news items uh, that happened in our church. Last Sunday um, in the evening, um, Mikey's father passed away um, from cancer. And uh, yesterday we had the funeral in the morning. That's why I wasn't at the volleyball tournament. Um, you can speak to him personally about anything, any kind of word of encouragement you'd like to offer. Um, I'll leave that to you. I think it's a little bit difficult for him to share anything now. Uh, but he gave an incredible eulogy yesterday. It was, um, I shed a tear, which is a lot for me. That's like a flood of tears. And um, yeah, so I'd like to share that with you. Some of you may have already known. Uh, but we'd like to pray for our, uh, Mikey, his family, his mother, his brother. Um, and all their relatives who are mourning at this time. Uh, so that was last Sunday. The day after, on Monday, um, David's grandfather passed away. So David Chung's grandfather passed away. Um, so I was like, 
you can imagine the start to my week, right? Um, I mean, to me, it's not, like, I'm not even them, right? They're going through way more than I am. Um, but it was difficult. It was very heavy on me this week. And so, um, yeah, unfortunate, but we like to pray for them because uh, they obviously had a tough week morning. David's grandfather's funeral was on Friday, I believe. Um, and so he was able to do that. But um, yeah, we like to pray for the, them, um, for their grieving, their sorrow. We like to pray for their family uh, who are going through difficult times as well. Um, but one thing both of them shared was that they are so uh, confident and at peace in knowing that both Mikey's father, David's grandfather, are with the Lord. And um, that is so much peace to the Christian, is it not? Right? To know that they are in a better place than us. I'd rather be there than here. Um, but we like to lift a prayer for them. So if you're around them or if you like to go to them, you can certainly lay a hand on them and pray for them at this time. I'd like to take a moment to just pray uh, for our brother Mikey, Brother David, it's kind of difficult for them to maybe like have the strength to come up at this time, but we would like to pray for you. So if you can, if you're just around them or if you'd like to go to them, please uh, just take a moment to go and, and pray for our two brothers. Mikey's over there. David's over there. Uh, don't be shy. Please lay a hand on them at this time, and uh, we'll just pray together, and then I'll close us in prayer. Uh, so I'll give you a moment to transfer your bodies over and pray for them. I think it would be very encouraging for them to have the community pray. Don't be shy. They, would, they could really use your prayer. Um, if any of you have ever uh, lost someone, I know you know how it feels. Okay, let's take a moment to pray, um, and then I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for um, the life that was for Mikey's father and for David's grandfather. Thank you for their their faith. Thank you for giving um, us the confidence in knowing that they are with you. Although it's our loss, it's it's their gain, and. Um, None of these things never end the way, in a way that 
is ever um, at peace with us in our hearts. Um, of course, it's always difficult. And so while we take this time to mourn and grieve over our loss, we celebrate the lives that they lived. And we remember everything about them. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would be so kind to us that we would uh, be able as even like as believers to always focus on knowing the truth that death has lost its sting it has it does not have the last say and so father we ask that you be with the mourning families as they are spending this time perhaps in some grief and sorrow that you would give them the reminder of hope and peace and life that is in Christ Thank you for the gift that was Mikey's father and David's grandfather. A blessing to their family, their households, blessing to those around them. And we thank you for the effort of their lives in living in obedience to Christ and following him. So Father, we lift you at this time for your graciousness in saving them. It's never easy. Would you be with us as well as we mourn together as a community? Thank you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Um, somber note to end, but I think, obviously, uh, important for us to pray together in these times. Thank you for joining our hearts in prayer. I'd like to ask you to join your heart in prayer one last time. As a family of God, would you rise from your seats as we end with the Lord's Prayer? Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Please join us for lunch at our other building but for now spend some time greeting one another and then uh, we'll see you there